yesterday, one thing that came up was this notion of uh, black-on-black crime, the pushback against black-on-black crime. And folks chimed in on our Facebook page um, with some concerns that they had about black-on-black crime. Uh, One person in particular, Yambu Tutu, had some real concerns that it wasn't being addressed and that we weren't having the conversation that we needed to have around why it is problematic, why I argue that it's problematic. And so I want to get into that conversation today, talk with you about where you stand with black-on-black crime. What do you think about that? Is that really a thing? It's a very loaded and and controversial phrase. And you seem to have this phrase pop up every time we're talking about Black Lives Matter, for example, every time we start talking about defunding or dismantling or exposing the police. We talk about accountability within the police. We talk about how police officers don't have the right to be judge, jury, and executioner. And the pushback as well Black folks are killing themselves at a higher rate. So what about black-on-black crime? It's also a phrase that seems to come up, particularly when you're talking about crime within the black and mainly urban communities, that there's this idea that it's an either-or. It can't be an and both. We actually can focus on holding police officers accountable, which I would argue we are not finished doing yet. And we can talk about the violence that is rampant in our community, which, by the way, isn't done by any stretch of the imagination. Systemic racism, microaggression, and white fragility, those are terms that get people who are outside of the community upset. They're like, there's too much of a focus on systemic racism, saying that racism is embedded. Black-on-black crime, that terminology, that phrase, that concept is pushed out there as a way of disregarding what our real concerns are. If you remember back in 2015, uh, when Donald Trump was running to be the president of the United States, He put out a very misleading graphic. He actually tweeted out that 97% of black people are killed by other black people and 80% of white people are killed by black people. And there was a lot of fact-checking done on what he posted out because it was alarming, but it was also erroneous. If you take a look at the FBI's Universal Crime Report from 2014, 90% of black people killed were killed by other black people. But only 14.8% of white people were killed by black people. I want to be clear about that. Donald Trump put that 97% and really 90% of black folks are killed by other black folks. The number that is the disputed number is that he tweeted out that 80% of white folks killed are killed by black folks. That is not true. It's only 14.8%. The bulk of white people who are killed are killed by other white people. Murder tends to happens with, happen within neighborhoods, and that is something that we have to look at because we don't talk about white-on-white white crime. 
we have been trying to, to get to why this is an issue. Why do we talk about what is happening in our society? We call it senseless violence. We say things like, well, if black lives matter, they would matter all the time, even to black people, as if black, as if black lives don't matter to us. It is a form of getting people to believe that we are prone to criminality. It's a loaded phrase. It's a difficult phrase to, to come to terms with. And when people talk about black-on-black crime, they are describing the disproportionate amount of crime perpetuated by black people against other black people. It's also, depending upon who you are, it is considered by a number of people to be an offensive term, Um, pulling its origins and, and being rooted in America's racist legacies. And it's meant to demean black people as if we are disposed, you know, we are innately tied to violence. We can't break away from the violence that is within us. It's also disturbing because we don't talk about that when we look at other ethnic groups. Let's go back to how this term came out, because I think when we investigate black-on-black crime, this terminology, let's kind of figure out where did we get it from. In 1979, in Ebony Magazine, we know Ebony, the first commercially successful black-owned magazine focused on black folks, had an article in it in 1979. And that article was about black-on-black crime. And here's a quote from that article. Although the black community is not responsible for the external conditions that systematically create breeding grounds for crime, The community has the responsibility of doing what it can to attack the problem from within. That was in Ebony. There was a follow-up piece in Black Enterprise, another Black-owned publication that focused on Black businesses and economics. It also referenced Black-on-Black crime. It picked it up. So you get started in Ebony. Next thing you know, you have the same terminology in Black Enterprise. And their quote is, you might not know it from reading a daily newspaper or watching the evening news on television, but most big city crime is committed by blacks upon blacks. And so this terminology, black on black crime, actually gets traced back to black folks. It gets traced back to Ebony Magazine. It gets traced back to Black Enterprise, and then it gets picked up by the media. This idea that black people kill each other, that's exceptional. This notion that it can only be fixed by black people is deeply rooted, according to Khalil Gibran Muhammad, uh, who used to teach at the Harvard Kennedy School, and then he went over and he was at the museum in New York. But Khalil is saying, look, there's more than just black folks stop killing other black folks. We have to look at the deep roots of white supremacy to really understand why it's a problem. Now, I laid out for you 1979 looking at Ebony Magazine and Black Enterprise when the term was popularized in the media with black-on-black crime. But this notion that black folks have a special crime problem actually goes all the way back to 1896. There was a book published in 1896 titled The Race Traits 
and Tendencies of the American Negro, 1896. And the author, uh, Frederick Hoffman, even though he didn't use the phrase black-on-black crime, he did promote this idea that black people have a special crime problem. Now, Hoffman, at that time, back in 1896, was one of America's leading statisticians and statisticians, excuse me. And what he did is he used crime statistics to support what he considered evidence of a black crime problem. In 1896, a book was published that said, look, black folks have a special crime problem in 1896. You fast forward to 1979, you have Ebony Magazine, you have Black Enterprise Magazine saying, look, black folks, we're killing each other. There's black-on-black criminality happening in our communities, picked up by the media, and now here we are today fighting against that terminology. The Bureau of Justice, their statistics show from 2019 that crime victimization statistics show that com- that those who commit violent acts tend to commit them against members of the same race as the offender. Thus, offenders were white, and 62% of violent incidences committed against white victims, blacks and 70% of incidences committed against black victims, and Hispanic and 45% of incidences committed against Hispanic victims. So it's only black-on-black crime put on the microscope when truly we need to investigate the high levels of crime happening within our own communities, not just the black community. We have Brother Jake on the phone from Baltimore. Brother Jake, how are you? Hello? Hello, how are you? I'm great. I have a comment. I have a question, rather. If you were to walk in the house this evening and you heard a drip, a drip, 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 and you went to go address it, but then on the way to address it, you realize you heard a, a good like a pipe busted, which one would you address first? So if I hear the drip, drip, drip. Yeah. And, and you I go see, to address it, but then on the way to address it, you realize, man, it sounds like a big old pipe busted. Which one would you address first? Uh, that is actually a really good question. Because I would say I would be very torn. Because part of me wanted to kind of figure out what the bigger problem is. But sometimes well, it's the drip, drip, drip. You I see, mean, sometimes that's our problem is black people. We keep chasing the slow drip. The white man killing the black man is the slow drip. The black on black crime is the good. And we're not addressing the good. We're going for the slow drip. What we need to do, I'm not saying we shouldn't get the slow drip, but we should get it after we get the good. But, that's but, how we gonna ride. Okay, but but sir, what if it's the slow drip? What if the slow drip would stop the gush? I mean, you you put this analogy no, on the table. I'm saying you put the analogy on the table. Hold on, hold on, brother Jake. You put it on the table. So then let's ride this analogy out. You're yeah, saying you black, br- brother Jake, sense. brother Jake. 
We can't both speak at the same time. I'm only trying to answer what you put on the table. You said black folks tend to go for the gush rather than going. No, black folks go for the slow drip, which is whites killing blacks, rather than going for the gush, which is black people killing other black people in our community. I'm saying, what if it's stopping the slow drip that will stop the gush? Don't you think we can attack it from all the levels? Hey, and it's not an either or. Any major league being stopped with a drip? No. So why uh, you can't do that? You can't just make up new rules. You got to go with the reality of the situation. He changing the parameters of the situation. Okay. Thank you very much. I you appreciate going? you. Thank you. Okay. So, folks, um, 410. 319-8888. We are following up on a conversation that started yesterday around this notion of black on black crime. Going back to this, the, the statistics that talk about this, it's not that there isn't a disproportionate rate of crime within the black community. It's this idea that black on black crime, this phraseology, is being used to counter the notion that there is systemic racism. There is, in our society, a root, and we are trying to furry out the root. I mean, that's, by its very nature, a root is something that is buried. I know there are some above-ground roots, but take into account this is a root that's buried. And to get the root out, we have to dig everything else out going to do everything out from around it so we can even get to the root so we can then pull it up. A lot of post-World War II programs like the GI Bill, the VA Bill, FHA Housing were all intended to help white people who were struggling in society so that their crimes in their community would go down because their incomes went up. They found a direct correlation between crime going down as income goes up. Take that and multiply that for an economically struggling black community. Crime continues to go up. Unemployment is continuing to go up. They might be related, and this this research is saying that it is. We have Jonathan on the phone from Baltimore, and then Coley. Jonathan, how are you? Okay. I'm doing well, Dr. K. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for joining us. Well, the gentleman before, I don't think he could articulate exactly what his thoughts was, but I understood the process, and I don't, I don't know if you really wanted to get into his analogy, but sometimes when we look at the problem, the black-on-black black is a major problem, but that's just a part of it. And even though, if you look at the, the majority of blacks who are being killed, around 90% of other blacks, that's just part of it. That's, that's that. Now, like you said, economically, everything that's inclusive into the devastation of our neighborhoods are inclusive. So let's not just try to pick out the little one, the, the one big one. That's what the gentleman is saying. Just... All of a sudden, it's blacks is causing the reason why we know. Economically, the situation, the poverty, the people live in. I'm in Baltimore. Have you ever been in Baltimore and really went in people's houses and see how people are living? Um, That's where you know, we can sit back and imagine. I, I dropped a person off one day 
And I just looked at their house and I said, I can't believe people were even living like that. And I, I just thank God that I'm blessed, but I thank God that we do have to have a voice. And it's going to take everybody to get this out of here. It's just not killing it. It's a mentality. People don't have, people don't have an idea that they have an opportunity or a chance. And that's what we got to tackle. It's not just the killing. We got to give people a cha- uh, answer that can I do better? Yes, you can. But there are some people out there who don't believe it. And that's where the, that's where the gush comes according to the drip. Is that we got to, we got to fix the mentality as a people, as a whole, and not because, because you, I'm not, I don't like to say black people and white people because it always interferes and it confuses. But a lot of times, when we want things done, looking like a Stephen A. Smith, you know why he gets paid so much? Because he's able to say something that the other people can't say and get it out and publicly and make it out there. And it's always been done that way. When, when white people want to do a certain thing or say something to people, they get them, they get themselves a voice. Somebody out there who will be able to say it, and they, they can, you can't call them racist because they're black, but it gets out there and it feeds to the world. That's all. We just got to open up. Uh, we got to open our minds. And we just gotta, we just gotta do it ourselves. It's a mentality, and it does hurt. It really does hurt. So, all right, thank you so much. Thank I appreciate you. that, Jonathan. When we come back, we'll have Keith and Coley on the line, and I'll read some of your comments from Facebook Live, inviting you to call four one zero three one nine eighty eight eighty eight. with Dr. K. I'm Dr. K. Wise Whitehead. We're having a conversation, just exploring something that was put on the table yesterday around black on black crime. It is really a loaded phrase. Eric Williams says, I've been in public safety for over 10 years. Crime is crime. It's violent or property. Black on black crime is an outside term, a pushback from others to shift focus and make us look bad. Crime is relevant to where you live. Additionally, we have uh, uh, Yambu Tutu, and this is someone I mentioned who wanted to have more conversation about this from yesterday. said, we can't stop the slow drip because it's not in our power. Tanya Davis says, I get what you're saying about the term black on black crime, but it's a reality that we are committing crimes against each other. I've been assaulted at gunpoint, robbed, car broken into multiple times, and it's all been done by black men. Let's not let semantics get in the way of reality. Whatever it's called, it's happening, and it needs to be stopped. There are enough there are enough other people trying to kill and harm us without doing the same to ourselves. 410-319-8888. Let's go to Coley, and then we'll have Keith and uh, Elliot and Linwood. Coley, how are you? Yeah, I don't doubt it. Thank you for taking the call. Yeah, I mean, for the most part, like, you know, my take on it, like, it never stops. But I have a question where, though, I remember uh, last week you were saying when they had the little debate or whatever, when the president came in, you was kind of, like, thrown off how the person asked the question and the question really wasn't relevant. Like, you know what I mean? It could have been a better question or whatever. Right. But I pretty much, like, you know what I mean? Yeah, I haven't heard the word, the, the phrase culture vulture. Yes. Well, like, it, it's pretty much like the same, the same thing. Like at time when you have the uh, the mayor on, and I, I sit back and I see how you, like you know what I mean, you question him and dialect him. 
Whereas though with the whole how adamant you be about the uh, uh that's the, the that that school situation. Whereas if you never really asked him or pressed him about when they had the meeting and only one person even brought up about the Vesta Fells uh, demonstration. Yes. You know what I mean? And I, I, I would thought, Wazo, like you spoke with him like two times since then, and like you never like mentioned anything about that. So I had to think back, Wazo, like, you I mean, maybe, you know what I mean? At times you don't want to ask him tough questions so he can, can like, you don't want to put him on a hot seat, you know what I mean? Or what they say, put his feet to the fire, which we say on the show that we should do to our elected officials. You know what I mean? Or maybe then, like, you know, he wouldn't probably, like, participate in your show, so you got to be, job play politics yourself. You know what I mean? Okay, that, like, actually, that, now, if I may respond to that, um, in terms of holding the mayor accountable, that specific thing, which was the Augusta Fell Savage, which you know was a bee in my bonnet, the exactly. mayor actually spoke about multiple times. I have no control over that. It falls under Dr. Sonia Santelise, and we no, reached I'm saying, out to her. I, to you know have I'm her come when, address that. No, I'm saying when, like, the Congress people, like, yeah. they did the the whole little roundtable or the meeting, whatever the case may be, and only one person even brought it up. It was like eight of them. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And you spoke with him probably like two or three times since then. I, I was just thinking, whereas though, right. like, you would ask him and question him about whereas, like, how would he feel about his, something that he had control over, people that he right. is control over. Like, how did he feel about that? Like, you never really got busy with him about that. Okay, so I, really I, will, I will put his feet close to the fire, but we do zoom in. But I will I take what you're saying very honest. We will make sure that we don't, because part of the agreement with the mayor coming on our show is that we don't let him off I mean, the hook. It's not just hanging out. I remember before he flipped your whole show. Like, you know what I mean? So he wouldn't get asked questions. No, no. That, that, I want to be clear. That that was actually... When, when, that was you know, scripted. Maybe I just need to be very honest about that, Cody. That was scripted. That was yeah, scripted. That was actually scripted. What, what had happened, I had just won the Murrow Award, and it was all at the same time. And the mayor was like, you know, it would be great if I'm talking about the award. Let me ask Dr. I have some questions for her. Everybody always has questions for Dr. Whoa. K. I want to ask her. So that was, if you know, so that's so we only got been done one cream. time, and it's we got never been done before. Cream. Yeah. Okay. It was that, that's why he was asking me questions because yeah. I just won a big award. That was why. Okay. okay. All right. No All problem. Right. All right. Thank you very much. 410-319-8888. folks. We are okay. We don't have. I want to be very clear. We actually don't have a personal problem with any of the elected officials. When we attack elected officials, we are not attacking them as a person. We're attacking their record. And I think if you are an elected official, we can attack your record. Some elected officials don't like that and won't come on the show. That's fine. But we don't personally have any problems with any elected officials. And some of them we have a better relationship with than others. That's all. Linwood's on the phone. He's a new caller from Anne Arundel County. Linwood, how are you? I'm good. Thanks for calling. I'm good. Can you hear me? I can hear you, sir. Okay. Um, my problem with this whole situation is that why are we as a people expecting someone else to fix our problem? Mm-hmm. To me, it's like we got so many young people of color that uh, have been told that they not nothing, that they ain't going to be nothing, that they, they self-worth is so small. Man, nobody's building on that character. That starts in the home. I'm hoping, it's my hope that as the people that we start uh, just doing our part first, we can't expect the world to fix uh, our problem. Now, now it's a bigger problem, but 
how do we fix our problem? It starts in the home. We need we need to start sitting down and, and talking to these young folks. See, I do a lot of mentoring, and I do a lot of talking to young folks so they can get in a good path. Right. We need way more of our people doing the same thing so we can correct the problem because drug dealing is not a job. And we got so many people selling drugs and doing these things just causing 80% of the crime in Baltimore City. So tell me, I mean, when are we going to stop blaming everybody else and looking for other folks to fix the problem when it starts in the home and the community and those, and you can't blame it on a single parent? I mean, somebody's going to have to stand up and face this truth for what it is. It's the truth. We, but, we but, should but fix don't, this But don't problem. you think, Linwood, I mean, I don't know, you're a new caller. Hopefully you're not new to the show. But, but right. part of the work we do on this show is we do take responsibility. Like we're saying, you know what? All I talked about yesterday was saying, parents, we've got to do some of the work ourselves. It's not exactly. just waiting for the school. It's not just waiting for, we yeah. have to save ourselves. Yeah. Hey, that's why I'm calling because yes. we need to just, Look, sometimes we need to be encouraged for other folks to do that because we got so many people afraid to to speak a truth about our situation and our people. It's like, I'm like, really? I mean, that's not someone else's problem to fix. We should be the ones trying to fix our situation. We should be the ones. Okay, I got to stop you here, Linwood. I appreciate you. Let's go to Mike from Baltimore. I know we have a list of people who do Mike from Baltimore. We have Elliot. We have Keith. We have Mark. Let's go to uh, Keith next from Baltimore. Keith, how are you? Fine, Dr. K. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for calling. Thanks for taking my call. I just want to quickly just try to disavow people of this false narrative that, you know, uh, this so-called black-on-black crime uh, cannot be dealt with uh, at the same time that we deal with police violence against our community. Uh, I don't care how much this so-called black-on-black crime happens. That is not an excuse for us to be killed by our government. The other thing I wanted to say is that um, uh, we keep talking about our solving the problem ourselves. The problem is bigger than that. It is historic in nature. This country is predicated on violence. It is the way this country gets things done. It is the uh, first tenet of being a man in this country is to learn how to be violent. So we cannot solve this problem by ourselves because the problem itself is rooted in racism. White people are the ones who are going to have to solve the problem of racism because they are the carriers of that virus. So if we are going to do anything that is going to be productive, we have to be willing to tell the truth. If there is a reason that black men in East Baltimore kill each other at an alarming rate and white guys in Towson don't, It is called resources. There are people who are concerned with the white folks in Towson. They are not concerned with the black folks in East Baltimore. And until we are willing 
to accept that reality and then commit to changing it, we will be spinning wheels. I'm, I'm really just tired of this, this false narrative of black-on-black crime. White-on-white crime is real. Black-on-black crime is real. And it's not a matter of whether or not that, that has an adverse effect simply because of the semantics. If you put black people in a box and pretend that they are just innately violent, then it's not likely that there are going to be any resources coming to change the conditions in our community. Okay, Keith, so, i got to stop you there, sir. I really appreciate you chiming in. 410-319-8888. Elliot's on the phone. Elliot, are you still with us? Yeah, I'm with you. Can you yes, hear me? I can hear you. Okay, Dr. Kay. Uh, first, I just want to comment. Keith Snipes is a good friend of mine. I just love everything yes. he just said, and I agree with him totally. Um, I just mentioned something. I went to, first of all, I want to say happy homecoming to people who couldn't make the Morgan State uh, homecoming this weekend. I was there, and although it rained, it was still a nice day. I loved it. But something really good happened, Dr. K, when my friend and I were on our way back to our car, and we forgot, you know, little small streets, not too far from Morgan, like Northwood, the whole area. And we were, like, trying to figure out, oh, God, we, did we park over here, over there? And the brothers were sitting on the porch, Dr. K, and it was so beautiful. Um, all of them spoke. We spoke to them, and my buddy Derek said, L, he said, these are good folks, man. These kids are good. I taught school for years, so I know good kids and I know bad kids, believe me. But they were just so polite and respectful. Um, even a couple of young ladies said, and I had on a classic 1930s, you know, Morgan stuff, you know, and um, it, a lot of compliments. It's like, damn, that's the way I want to dress when I grow up. Spectators, that's what they call that, yo. And I'm like, yeah, that's what they call it. But it was just nice just to see. It was refreshing, put it that way. Because I ain't going to lie to you. I was a little bit afraid when we were going to the car. But the brothers were just polite and cool. And all we did was speak to him. That's all I'm saying. And the other day, Dr. K, I have to say this quickly. You know, I'm sitting on my front porch. You know, I sit on the front porch. I read books. Retired school teacher. And a guy named Al Gladden walked by. He wrote a book called The Barbershop One. And he's working on another one called The Barbershop Two. And he just stopped by and just, I thought he was delivering newspapers or something, whatever. But we just had the nicest conversation for like maybe 15, 20 minutes, just to know there's still good people around. That's all I'm trying to say. Okay, Young thank you and so old. much. I appreciate you. Uh, let, let's go to Mike from Baltimore. Then we have Jared, Mark, and Damon. Mike, how are you? Hi, Dr. K. Can you hear me? I can hear you. Thanks for calling. Um, thanks for taking the call. So I just want to put a little different twist on this. Um, you know, when I was in school, I learned that if you have lack of energy input, there's a phrase called entropy, um, <clears throat> and entropy just means the state of being becoming more disorganized. So I just see that the community and, uh, you know, everything in Baltimore just more disorganized because of lack of energy input. If you take an ice cube out of the freezer, which is the energy, it becomes water, which is less organized than the ice cube. And furthermore, it becomes a vapor, which is less organized than water. I see the same thing. And that goes for your house, your grass, your haircut. Everything moves towards being disorganized all on its own unless there's energy input. So I just see his lack of energy input. And part of what you do uh, every day is energy input. So I don't know where it needs to start, but there's a lack of energy input, and that's why everything in the city is disorganized. Thank you. Thank you so much. Let's go to Jared um, and Mark and then Damon. Jared, how are you? Dr. Kitty. 
You uh, you seen Doc, uh, Dave Chappelle's new stand-up, The Closer? I have, and we're actually planning to okay, talk about you... that on Friday because I have a lot of comments about that from everything that happened with cancel culture to the pushback within the trans community. I do have a lot of comments about that. Yes, uh, it's called Push It Back. You used to say punching the... Uh, what you say? Uh, 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 what you called it? What you call it when you lay... Lay into or something like that. Oh yeah, I was, yeah. That's, yeah. That's what I was saying about the uh, the Dave Chappelle thing. You see how he was saying about uh, punching down on people yes. and, and certain people. Yeah, that's what you do to the black man every day, Doctor K. You I punch, punch down, down on, on the black man. Yes, you. Are you kidding me? You're what telling me. Wait a minute. Hold on. I'm sorry. Typically, I let people you know speak. And you're telling me that I sitting here. As someone who uplifts my two black sons, who actually works and mentors young black men around the country, that wrote a book, Letters to My Black Sons, who gets complaints from mothers of black girls, and I don't give enough space to black girls, who lifts up my husband, who named the institute after my daddy, that I punch down on black men. Are you kidding me? I'm kidding. I'm dead serious. No, then you are absolutely wrong. I'm sorry. I, no, you I'm are not wrong. At, I, listen to I, mean, I, I, I don't usually say that, but in this particular instance, you are absolutely wrong. Because I would not want any young man listening to this show who I've met whenever I've done my reading sessions with young boys, I would not want them to think, well, Dr. K doesn't really like us or support us because I do. And if you feel that I am punching down on you, I will actually tell you that I am sorry, but that is not what I'm doing. I may hold black men accountable. I may call them to accountability. I may ask them to do more. I may ask them to lean in harder, but I don't punch down on black men. I don't do that. I stand very tall on that because I don't. Thank you very much, Jared. We have Mark on the phone from Maryland. Mark, how are you? Dr. K? Yes. Hey, how are you? Wow. Okay. (laughs) I had to get that one out. Woo! Yeah. Gather uh, my thoughts. I wanted to comment on core values. Um, you know, a lot of things, black crime, black on black, what they call black on black crime, but just crime in general, crime, uh, poverty, um, uh, ignorance. Uh, you have to sit back and examine your core values. There are two things in society. You know, you're a civilian or you're a citizen. And we have to get back to the point of being not just occupants. Uh, you got to make a choice. And, that, and, and, and when I say choice, you're going to have to make a conscious effort in yourself, not your family, but yourself first, to be proactive as opposed to being reactive to certain social situations. If something is wrong, if somebody you know, comes in your neighborhood or, you know, um, and is doing ill will, you're going to have to approach that and and approach it with love, but I'm not saying go on in there with, you know, kumbaya, but you're going to have to approach it, and, and that's taking a response, self-responsibility, mm-hmm. social responsibility. A lot of people aren't doing that now. They're just sitting back letting the other guy do it, and that's what happens is the other guy is uh, not doing your, your, your best interest, mm-hmm. and we're suffering for it. So we're going to have to sit back as a, as a, a, a nation, um, and say, hey, are we citizens, and we're going to take responsibility for what's happening here and hold these politicians who don't have our better interests accountable, or are we just going to sit back and just take what they give us? Because, I mean, the only thing I know that does that is farm animals, and we don't want to be there. But also, yeah, um, you punching down on the brothers, no, nah, I don't see that. 
um, holding people, male and female, accountable for their actions, absolutely. Because there are consequences that have to come from those things that don't necessarily benefit them or the black community. So, yes, it's paramount to hold folks accountable. But one is done out of respect and love. The other one is done out of fear. And that's something that I do not detect in the many years that I've been listening to this program and your voice. So if you stand back and take that invisible second and examine yourself first, then maybe you could come out with honest assessments of yourself before you start to strike out at others. Thank you so much, Mark. I appreciate you. We have Damon on the phone, then Pam, and then Johnny, and then Raquel. Damon, how are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for calling. Now, I don't see where you all always yay, yay, yay about the black man. I see where you be telling the truth where the truth needs to be. But what I wanted to comment on is I think that we get it uh, confused when we leave the epidemic of killing to uh, uh, the homes without, even though I'm not, I, I, I know that this needs to be improved and maybe a lot of it come there, but what we need to change is the culture. And the reason we need to change the culture, because this culture is even in the homes with the has and, and the six-figure homes, because we are not changing the music, we're not changing the dress style, we're not changing any of that. And if you do a survey, you'd be surprised of the number of the people who have raised their kids in maybe, maybe I'm just going to say a whiff and teaching them and, and the streets still get them because it's more powerful. So I think it's whether we're talking about the has or, or the, the have not or, or the left out, which certainly we need to center culture around that, but we need to send the culture around all of our community because even the concept of getting into an argument or something, the first concept is he needs to be dead. Right. Thank you so much, and so until we, yeah. so until we change the culture and and the concept, it's going to con. It's going to it's going to continue to happen because what we want to do is we want to get rid of that culture, not bring it from maybe. Uh, well, we know our community is the least, the last, and the left out, which is the gentleman three calls before for me said. But in the way that we need to correct it is it's it's culturally, and we and so we need more of that in in our community. Especially when we got young ladies uh, with their sons, uh, four and five years old, but we have purposely made their parents hang off of their behind. All right. I'm going to stop you there. Thank you, Damon. Thank you so much. Folks, let me go to Pam and then Johnny and then Raquel. Pam, how are you? Hello, Dr. K. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for calling. Well, thank you for hosting the show. Just ignore that man that called. Um, You have many callers that call in here, and some people just spew ignorance and they refuse to have accountability. And until we go back to accountability, we will have great issues in our community. There are some things that people bring into our community, such as drugs and guns. Yes, I do agree. But being respectful and being a parent and raising a child, you have so many resources before you. So you can only hold uh, the uh, other people 
accountable to a degree. When are you going to take charge? So my question becomes to people, what's the difference between that family, that woman who divorced her husband, or they got a divorce, and she raised her kids, and she may have sons, and they're not gangbangers, versus the other ones? She took accountability, and she was committed to raising her children. And we have to stop blaming other people. And until you correct that seed, nothing will be corrected. And it starts in the home with respect and consideration for yourself. They don't even, people don't even sweep outside their home. They don't even clean. Stop blaming other people and stop attacking other people. Look at yourself in the mirror and be honest. And we can all be better. If we all are better by 1% each day, our community would be better. All right. Thank you so much, Pam. We have Johnny on the phone, then Raquel. Johnny, how are you? Okay, how are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for calling. Uh, you are a shining star in the dark, Doc. I mean, your, your conversations here lately have been very... Um, so, you know, uh, yeah, disregard that gentleman that feels that you beat down on men. Um, you know, we have solutions... Uh, there are people out here that have solutions, you know. Um, but what if the churches were still the cornerstones of the black community, where you know their their doors was open as resource um in the evening for kids, or you know, and have different types of training, uh, hand hand training, not not you know carpentry, uh, elect electrician hands-on type of things where they they keep the money, they suck the money out of the black community. Mm-hmm. You know, we're in the matrix. You know, they, they suck the, the wealth out of the black community. And even these billionaires don't have enough money to solve this. Right. You know, but um, the there are solutions out here. Uh, have you ever heard of Moses West? Yes, I have. Okay, now that atmospheric generator generates water. It's free water. Right. That's a resource that could be used, that could be turned economically. So, you know, there's solutions out here, but um, now we have, we have to find it. Um, that's all I have to say. Thank you. Okay, thank you so much. Just so he mentioned Moses. And I appreciate you. Thank you so much. We, he mentioned Moses West. I just want to be clear. Moses West is a retired Army Ranger. He's a CEO of Paladin Water Technology and founder of the Water Rescue Foundation. He's a black man. And he has patented technology, and it is changing lives. It makes a push, and it works for clean water, and it pushes against water insecurity. So if you have an opportunity, go and look at the work of Moses West and his work around atmospheric water generation. We have Lolly on the phone, then Raquel. Lolly, how are you? How you doing, Dr. K? I'm doing well, thank just you. Just wanted to, you know, as I always try to do once in a while, just show my appreciation <laughs> to you and let you know that, like you said, you know, when I first met you, you was doing, um, you was helping me and uh, Tawanda with her brother, Tyrone West. She was helping my cousin with Jamal Taylor. These are two guys that have been killed by police. I don't think you met neither one, but you took the time out your busy schedule to come down there to protest with us. You actually read the note for my little cousin. You had your son out there. So, yeah, you definitely a warrior for all your people. And people got to remember, you, you, you do a lot of current, current events. 
So the stuff you're talking about is what's going on. And if he felt like you're attacking the brothers, you don't realize the sisters are the most unprotected women in the world. So a lot of times you might be speaking on some things when it comes to the sisters because the sisters, again, are the most unprotected females in the world. So it has to be a balance. You can't always just talk about brothers are good, 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 good. And some of us do need to step our game up. You know what I mean? Like, we talk about this every day. Like, no, you are not no person that's bashing, bashing black men. But I just wanted to tell you thank you for all the stuff you had done for me and my family. And, you know, just wanted to give you a big up. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. 410-319-8888. Raquel's on the phone. Raquel, how are you? Okay, we educate anybody that want to learn. Come on. <laughs> Come on now. <laughs> That's what we do. Me listening to your show have inspired me so much to go back to school and to take some more classes. So for that caller that call, maybe he needs to listen more. Have a good day, Dr. K. Thank you so much. Folks, it, it, has, um, it has been a pleasure. Uh, to, to serve you in this way. I want to give a couple other comments off of Facebook Live, and I believe that Anthony McCarthy is going to join us. I don't know if he's in here yet to talk with us about two-way talk. Eric Williams on Facebook Live said, look, we have to stop solely blaming other people. We have to take responsibility for our own actions. That doesn't mean shouldering blame for other people. Yambu Tutu says, why will anyone not address why it was legitimate that hip-hop had to stop the violence movement? If us killing one another, if us killing one another is not a problem, question mark. Everything we say contradicts that fact. We are in so many other ways say it's obviously a problem. Obviously, we can and have to do both. That is not the issue. The issue is a question of the organization of our efforts. The pathology argument makes no sense. The act and the impact of the act speaks for itself. Does it really make a difference as to what they think of us? Can anything we do change their perception of us if they are inclined to do so? So he spells out here on the Facebook page uh, his feelings and beliefs around this notion of black-on-black crime. Juanita Maya says, look, discipline is obtained by gradually uh, working towards visible results. It's a manifestation of your goals. Slow and steady wins the race. Habits are formed by repetition. Folks, we're going to hold it here. Uh, I want to delve more into this conversation because there is a lot here on the ways in which we see ourselves and the ways in which we are dealing with long-term generational racial trauma. We're going to get into that in our next show because I want to talk about why it is why it's been 100 years since the Tulsa Race Massacre And there's a lot of research to show that that kind of pain and trauma got trapped into the genetic makeup of black folks, and we're still suffering. Every time a traumatic incident, event happens to our community, even if you don't know the person, we all suffer as a result of that. We'll get into that and more at our next conversation. It's an honor and a privilege to serve you in this way. Privilege to serve you in this way. Privilege to serve you in this 